proverb says, a faithful man who can find. And I am pleased to tell you, as I introduce Brother Evans, Edens, I've found a faithful man. And it was several years ago, Brother Nathan Diedrich said, you've got to meet this man, Brother David Edens of Niger. And we had the privilege to have him come up for our World Harvest Fields course uh, four years ago and arrange for him to come once again uh, and join us uh, for today. And in about 1974 or so, he was uh, arrived in Niger, Africa, and uh, God has used him to reach a largely Muslim people group um, that speak the Tamajic language. This man loves language. And he has, and may, maybe even will describe the very core um, missionary role of actually putting the Bible in a language. Uh, and uh, he has already emphasized that this morning. And uh, he loves, the, the greatest thing is he is a humble man who loves the Lord. So as you listen to him this morning, listen for the Lord's voice. Listen for God to touch your heart with something he's saying to you. And we're praying for that. Brother Eden, it's a blessing to have you. Thank you very much, uh, Brother Mark. It's my privilege to be here. I just thank God that... Uh, that he made it possible. Turn with me this morning to the book of Romans. We're going to read from verse 14 as a text. And as we go through this message, don't feel that you need to look up every passage or every verse that I will be referring to our reading uh, because for sake of time, we need to do this, but I will say this, anybody that is confused or anything, I will supply you uh, somehow or another, I'll get you a copy of this outline, it has all the verses here, and uh, don't think you'll come out with what I came out with, but, uh, but you will at least know the passages of Scripture. Reading from Romans chapter 1, verse number 14, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians both to the wise and to the unwise. Let us call our attention this morning to this soul-searching pronouncement of Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the missionary, formerly Saul of Tarsus, Roman citizen of the province of Cilicia. I am a debtor to the Greeks, and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. A debtor? Paul? What brought Paul to this conclusion? A debtor, one who owes another, one held by some obligation, bound by some duty, to be obliged to do a thing, bound. To duty. How can this be? Yes, he was called Paul the Apostle, separated, he said in the first chapter of Romans, unto the gospel of God concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations, ethnos, the Gentile nations, 
for his name, among whom are ye also, you Romans, the called of Jesus Christ. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. I like to use the, uh, the common uh, general definition of this word apostle. Missionary, one sent with a commission. And the Latin for that is our English word missionary. An apostle. To the Gentiles, to the Goyim, the ones that were not thought a lot of by the Jewish nation. And he says that he is called to them. Now the Lord Jesus Christ gave his commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations the goyim. This could be translated are the ethnic groups, ethnic groups and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all way even unto the end of the world. Amen. The nations, the heathen, the Gentiles, the pagan peoples, in distinction and contrast to the Israelites. They were called the heathen. Many times the word in the word of God is translated heathen. Other times translated Gentiles. Other times the peoples are the nations. Paul is whom the Lord set before me as an example of a missionary. Now I'll confess to you, as I did to one dear lady who taught missions in a Bible college some years ago. She says, Brother David, uh, who did you have for your missions classes? And I had to confess, I never took a class in missions. But I do remember when I was in a Christian day school in our home church, uh, Brother Daryl Pounds taught Bible. And he taught through the book of Acts. And we were, I was about 16 years old at the time. And we were required to memorize all the content of every chapter in the book of Acts. And I think I came out of that with a fairly good missionary education. So why would I take Paul as an example? Well... Paul was a chosen, he was chosen as a pattern. He said to young Timothy, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now he's talking about his salvation, but many feel that Paul was a pattern in other ways. And I feel that way as well. And I recall and point out all of Paul's repeated admonitions. He said to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. He said again to the Corinthians, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. To the Philippians he wrote, Brethren, be followers together of me as ye have us for an example. He wrote to Timothy again. He said to Timothy, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Paul was his teacher, his mentor. 
I say, brothers and sisters, that this is our task as well, to carry the gospel to the nations of the world. Why would Paul make this soul-searching pronouncement? I am a debtor. Let us consider what Paul himself says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. We read his words to the Corinthians there. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all that they which live should henceforth live not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Paul says the love of Christ constrained him, prevailed upon him, seized him, gripped him. Now, I won't quarrel with the grammarians. The love of Christ, that Christ's love for us, or our love for Christ. Well, I think there's no big, big question about that because the Apostle John writes to us in his epistle, we love him because he first loved us. And without that love, we have no love except for ourselves. And it's this love of Jesus Christ for Paul that compelled him. John wrote again, where hereby we perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down ourselves, our lives for the brethren. Paul to the Ephesians calls this His great love wherewith He hath loved us. The love of Jesus Christ for us. Does that not compel us and tell us that we are debtors? As for our love for Christ, we love Him because He first loved us. And Jesus told His disciples, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. And this was His command, the command of Jesus Christ. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel to every creature. But there's more yet if you want to talk about this passage in the love of God. What about Christ's love for others? Jesus loves them. Well, I don't want to go visit them and work with these people. Jesus Christ loves them. Can you not be influenced by the love of God for those people who are scattered all over this world, many of whom have not yet had a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of Christ for them? But then I found this as well. What about the love that Christ gives us for others? And Jesus himself prayed this for us. In John 17, in verse 26, he says to God the Father, I have declared unto them, these disciples, thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them. Brothers and sisters, is that you this morning? That's what Jesus Christ prayed for you. And I'll tell you, that love has no limits. This love of Christ 
brought Saul of Tarsus to realize that he was a debtor. This love of Christ transformed Saul of Tarsus into Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's debt, he said something about debt to the Romans in chapter 13 and verse 8. Oh, no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Love thy neighbor as thyself. What is meant by the word constrain? To force. And Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. This constraint, this urge, this being gripped by this love that constrains us. How can this be? Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. What about all of us? Are you not a debtor? Are you not compelled? Oh, we hear excuses. No, 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 wait a minute. Uh, Brother David, this was Paul the Apostle. He was a unique individual, and God called him for that. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ this morning, I need to remind you that every one of you sitting on these pews is a unique individual. No two are alike. God created you the way He created you for a purpose. And God can do with you things as great as He did with the Apostle Paul. Because it is God that worketh in us, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Don't try that excuse. And we hear all kinds of excuses these days. But Paul is clear in this passage in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. God hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now we are ambassadors for Christ. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be you reconciled to God. We hear this excuse. Well, this commission was only to the first disciples. I beg to differ. Do you use the word of God? Where did you learn about Jesus? In this book? Well, how can you throw some things out and accept others? No, we are responsible for this commission that Jesus gave to us. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Some of them are saying these days, well, we'll leave that to the 144,000 that are going to go over the world in the tribulation. Well, maybe, but that does not excuse us today where we are to do what God gives us to do. We're without excuse. Today we hear a lot of people say, well, these people speak a different language. We can't learn it. And I recently heard about some preacher that the head of some mission organization. He said there, there are all of these thousands of languages out there in the world. and We don't have time to go and learn those languages. We've got to go and take uh, this here Bible in English and teach them English so they can get saved out of this book. Go ahead and try that. I don't know if you have a degree in teaching English in, to foreigners or not. 
Have you ever learned a foreign language? How would you have to depend on your soul's salvation having to read out of a Russian Bible or a Chinese Bible? Would you enjoy that? Have you learned Chinese? Ridiculous. No, I... They'll, they'll say many, well, I can't learn a foreign language. But you know, Americans take language wrong. They consider it an academic exercise and, and their, their mind is stuck in some school somewhere. Now you can learn some things in school, but language is a social behavior. And the way you learn a language is to sit down with the people you go to and converse with them and you make mistakes, but you learn as you're making those mistakes. And when I arrived in... Niger, West Africa, my heart's desire was to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to these people. And it burned in my heart to be able to do that in their language. You study that book, the Word of God. Many times and often God spoke to men in their own language. Go to Acts chapter 2. The 16 different Parts of the world mentioned there, and they all heard that day when Peter was preaching the gospel. They said, how is this happening? These are all Galileans. And we are hearing every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, dwellers of Mesopotamia, and in Judea, Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt, in the parts of Libya about Serene. And strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our languages the wonderful works of God. Those other disciples were speaking these languages. Miraculous, yes. But don't miss this point. And I know some want to interpret this another way. Well, this was a sign to the Jews. Well, a lot of these people there weren't Jews. But... Yes, but look at it this way. God intended for everyone to hear in his own language. I asked a dean of a Bible college recently, when did you start learning English? And he uh, started on the spot. I didn't mean put him on the spot, but I guess after I was born in the first year or so, nope, it's not it. When you were conceived by your mother, you began learning her language. And that's why it's called the maternal language. And specialists now realize that that child in his mother's womb is already listening and learning that language. When you learned another language of another people, you have a rapport that is irreplaceable by any other method. That illustrates that you really care for them. That you want to communicate with them. Brothers and sisters, don't we have a message that's important enough to go to that trouble? And I suggest to you doing that, you'll get there a lot faster than trying to take an English Bible and teach that to them first. Paul wrote a title on the cross written in three languages. Written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Everybody that passed by in that 
situation could read it. For 2,000 years, missionaries have been learning foreign languages. Gone to mission fields to learn those languages. They have sweat, blood, and tears. I think of Jonathan Goforth who went to China trying to struggle and learn the Chinese language. Finally, he said to his wife, Rose, pray for me if, if God don't intervene. My life is a work as a missionary. It's finished. I can't learn this Chinese. He had a missionary companion that has already was learning it. Another brother. People in Canada from Brother Goforth's supporting churches were praying for him. Shortly thereafter, at a prayer breakfast, they called on Jonathan Edwards to get up and give a message in Chinese. And Jonathan Goforth stood there and gave his message in Chinese. And afterwards, a number of Chinamen came up to him and they said, where have you learned this Chinese? You can speak it anywhere in China and be understood. God can help you. God can help you. And he will. I can't learn it. God gave you the same voice mechanism he gave any other human being. You have lips. You have a tongue. You have teeth. You have the glottis. You have a throat. You have the nasal passage. Those are all the tools that you use for your language. You can use them. And God can and does give you the ability. Language is a gift of God. And he will not deny that to you if you're determined to do it. And if God has called you, and if your heart's in the right place. And we could go on to talk about Hudson Taylor, Gladys Iyard, who cut, could not even pass the mission board's uh, test. They said, you just go on and keep being a maid. Saved up the money to get on the Oriental Express and rode it all the way to China. And in no time, Pastor, brother, no time she was speaking Chinese better than any of the missionaries there. Because God gave her a job to do there. Taking care of those young ladies. And she learned Chinese. What did the scripture we read say? They which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. No longer live for themselves. <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon said this, How can I live for myself? I died more than 18 centuries ago. I died and was buried. How can I live to the world? 1,800 years ago and more. The world hung me up as a malefactor, yes. And in my heart of hearts, I have also crucified the world. Well, that puts us all here about 2,000 years, right? We should have died because Jesus died in our place. And we should live for Him. If one died for all, then we're all dead. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. God hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. A Chinaman once said to a missionary, he warned him, you break the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, when you do not bring the gospel to my people. No wonder Paul 
in this passage as he talks that Jesus was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. No wonder Paul would say, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Paul was constrained by the love of Christ for him. He was seized upon by this great love, gripped by it. No wonder he became a servant with a servant's heart and attitude. Listen to what he said to the Corinthians. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. He wrote to the Romans, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good and edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. He was following in the steps of Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 20, whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. <clears throat> you want to be a big, a big guy? Well, Jesus said you need to be a servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to serve, if you will, and to give His life a ransom for many. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. What is a missionary? A missionary is a servant. Not some big guy. You get on the mission field, I hope, would hope you will learn that. He wrote to the Corinthians again, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. He said to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them without the law is without the law. To the weak became I weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Paul was a servant. But notice Paul's attitude towards those that he served. He wrote to the Thessalonians in chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. Because you were dear to us. We go to the world. God's given us the ministry of reconciliation to love those people to Jesus Christ. And when he was separated from the Thessalonians, he wrote back to them later from Athens. He talked about we could no longer forbear. We could no, I could no longer forbear. This man was moved upon the way he felt for those that he served. He wrote to the Galatians and said, My little children, whom 
of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. That's very strong language. Childbirth. To the Colossians, he wrote, I would that ye knew what great conflict. He was in the throes, the pains of conflict for you at Colossae and them at Laodicea and as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Again, he wrote to the Corinthians, in weariness he said he served, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness didn't have sufficient clothing. Beside those things which are without, that which cometh unto me daily, the care of all the churches, that same care. There, he told the Philippians, be careful for nothing. Same word here. He cared for the people God sent him to. He goes on to say, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? And Tyndale rendered this, and my heart burneth not. Can you give yourself to Jesus to give yourself? To those to whom he would call you. He wrote to the Corinthians, I will very, 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 very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Paul's attitude toward those to whom God sent him. Paul was time conscious. He wrote to the Corinthians, Brethren, I say this, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. I will say this. Missionary, large part of his work is his wife. And I say that for my wife. Without her, I just don't know. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Make good use of your time. But notice Paul was also goal-oriented. To the Romans he wrote in chapter 15, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named. I made it my aim to preach Jesus Christ, not where Christ was named lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Now, let's, don't let that draw us off the, the point too much because he goes on to quote the Word of God. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. This was Paul's goal. Paul had other goals. Paul wanted to go to Spain. Some think he did. We don't know that he did, but we know that that was his goal because he tells us that in Romans 15. But notice another goal of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to the Colossians in chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. We preach Christ, he said, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. 
was Paul's goal? To bring every man into perfection before Jesus Christ. Notice as well with me, Paul was a man of tears. Even for the ungodly, he wrote to the Philippians, he says, I'll tell you this, even weeping, that these people are enemies of the gospel of Jesus and the cross of Jesus Christ. He wrote to the Corinthians, Out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. To the Ephesian church in Acts 20, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptation. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. I served in the Sahara Desert. But a few times I was surprised that the desert is a desert. But when we have rain over there, which is a short season every year, immediately the desert turns green. And I was a little surprised that there weren't some spots that turned to green because of our tears. Maybe salt water don't work so well. Notice Paul's attitude in suffering. To the Colossians he wrote, who now rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in my sufferings. Listen, rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for this body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. He wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Any suffering we do is for the church of Jesus Christ. And I thought of the Muslim people. I considered them a potential brother in Christ. And many of them have become brothers in Jesus Christ. To the Corinthians, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now I'll close with this. James A. Stewart, Scottish missionary of two generations ago. In quoting Paul from Galatians chapter 6, where Paul said, For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. James Stewart said this, Listen closely. How few are giving themselves away for those who can only be saved by the sacrifice of their life. Brothers and sisters, are there some in some dark corner of the world that can never hear about Jesus without the sacrifice of your life? 